hello and welcome back to our podcast where do i know them from as always my name is alexandra and i'm elizabeth and this season we'll be doing saoirse ronan every season of this podcast we will do a different actor or actress and follow their entire career so for saoirse ronan we are now finally arriving in the year 2011 elizabeth do you want to start us off with a couple of letterbox reviews absolutely for our first one we have 3.5 stars lightly fictionalized biopic of saoirse ronan (laughs) That's a stretch, okay. Uh, then we have four stars. Saoirse Ronan be like, I see role with lesbian undertones and I take it. True, true. <laughs> oh my god. So many already have we agreed on that. <laughs> then we have four stars. This was surprisingly badass for a director whose career is based around putting Kira Knightley in fancy dresses. It was pretty badass. Finally, we have no stars. This is why you can't trust kids who are homeschooled. (laughs) Facts. (laughs) Straight facts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And we'll be talking about that more later. (laughs) Anyway, this movie was Hannah. Uh, As I said, it came out in the year 2011. It was directed by Joe Wright. Uh, Joe Wright was not the original director of this movie. It was, they originally talked about Alfonso Cuaron or Danny Boyle, but Saoirse Ronan actually was the one who prompted the producers to consider him. And I'm so glad that she did because I love Joe Wright. So I'm glad that I was able to tick this movie off of my Joe Wright watch list because I will never watch it again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The screenplay was by Seth Lockheed and David Farr. Uh, Seth Lockheed wrote the script on spec while he was in film school at the Vancouver Film School. That makes so much sense. And, yes, it, it does. Everything else makes sense, having learned that detail. Yeah, and David Farr provided some edits later. Good. It is about 111 minutes long, and it had a pretty good cast, very stacked. Um, a lot of people in very small roles. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, of course, is the main character. She plays Hannah. Eric Bana plays her father, Eric. Um, Vicky Kreps is also in it. Tom Hollander is kind of one of our main villains. He plays a guy named Isaacs. Um, Olivia Williams, Michelle Dockery, Jessica Barden, Jason Fleming, and Kate Blanchett. Now, Kate Blanchett is the main villain. Michelle as you Dockery, might expect from everything about her. Yeah, as you might expect from the everything about her. Kate Blanchett, to me, and I love her, so I want to put so much respect on her name, but she just, like, strikes, strikes me as such a deeply villainous person. Like, I'm sure that she personally is very nice, but every movie that I've ever seen her in, I'm, in where she plays a villain, I'm like, that makes sense. Like, she's just so good at playing villains. Which, I don't want to typecast her, but she is the villain in this one, and she does phenomenally. So, um, yeah, Kate Blanchett, good at playing villains and good at doing it here. Michelle Dockery plays the, like, fake fake version of Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett's name in this is Marissa Vigler, and Michelle Dockery plays, like, the false Marissa when she's trying to trick Hannah. The score is Chemical Brothers um, by the Chemical Brothers. It's um, a very, very high-energy score, like, very techno. I really liked it, so I think that they did an excellent job. It really helped add to the action movie feel of the mo- of the movie so that was fun the production company it was produced by babelsberg studio and the hollering company and it was distributed by focus features who also own the copyright to the movie kind of an elaborate plot at least it was an elaborate setup i don't know how elaborate the plot was but the background to me was was truly unfathomable mm-hmm. a 16 year old girl raised by her father to be the perfect assassin is dispatched on a mission across europe Tracked by a ruthless operative, she faces startling revelations about her existence and questions about her humanity. I think that's a terrible summary, so I want to give you a different one. Uh, We open on Saoirse Ronan, or Hannah. She is 16-ish. She looks younger than that, but it could just be because she is very, very blonde, and so it kind of washes her out and makes her look younger. 
She is raised by her father, um, Eric, who is like an ex-CIA operative. Um, he has been training her whole her whole life to be like the perfect assassin. We see her take out some animals and like she fights him also. At some point, she tells him she's like, I'm ready. And he says, okay, here is this box. If you open it and turn it on, then our enemy, Marissa Wiegler, will know exactly where we are and she'll not stop until we're both dead. Which, whack. Like, why would you have that box? Who gave it to them? Why did they keep it? Truly. I gotta know. It is at this point that um, they turn the box on. Hannah stays in the place kind of as a decoy, which feels like bad parenting. And Eric runs away in a suit for no reason uh, other than maybe to blend in. But he's in the wilderness of Finland, so I don't know why he needed to wear the suit. Anyway, they split up almost immediately. And they're, like, never reunited until the very, very, very end. It's giving um, Finding Nemo. It is giving Finding Nemo, yes. It's Finding Nemo, but action edition. Also, Nemo is herself. Nemo is herself. Already found, yeah. Or is she found? I think she's having a bit of a crisis of identity, but we can talk about that later. So, Hannah is very rapidly brought into custody by Marissa Wiegler. She takes out quite a few CIA agents in the process of that. Mm-hmm. But we cut to her kind of in, a, in an orange jumpsuit from above. She is, like, in this psych eval. She kills a bunch of people at the CIA. She is a very prolific killer, which we can talk about later, but damn, that girl has a high body count. Uh, She escapes. She's in the middle of nowhere, Morocco. She, like, hitches her a ride. She's, like, a... She, like, hides on the undercarriage of this British family's car and then stays with them for much of the rest of the movie. We quickly learn that she is, like, the smartest girl alive, but that she also simultaneously knows nothing at all. She, like, knows what specific muscles you use for kissing, but she has never been exposed to the concept of God or electricity or social skills. Yeah, she has so much knowledge about how to kill people, anatomy, technology. She knows, like, what what was invented, like, that the light bulb was, the light bulb was invented by, or she struggles to remember who the light bulb was invented by. But she knows all these things about technology and about um, anatomy, but she knows absolutely nothing about how to be a human person, which feels integral to being a spy. Yeah. But (laughs) that's okay. I guess she wasn't trained to be a spy. She was trained to be an assassin. She does know a lot of languages. That's true. And she, like, knows, like, important things about each country, but the important things are, like, the capital, major cities, major languages. So nothing, like, cultural. It's giving Killing Eve, but baby. (laughs) Baby Killing Eve. (laughs) It's giving homeschool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the homeschool slander is <laughs> Sorry. unreal. So now we kind of have a parallel story, like three parallel storylines set up, which is one, Eric is running around doing whatever. We have no idea. Kate Blanchett's character, Marissa Wiegler, is running around trying to capture uh, Saoirse Ronan back and also her father, Eric. And Saoirse Ronan is just with this British family trying to get to their meetup point. She and her father are supposed to meet in the, the Grimm house which is a reference to the Brothers Grimm of the fairy, of fairy tale fame. Eventually, all three storylines once again coalesce once we are at the Grimm house. Kate Blanchett's character catches up with her in some very creepy shots. I don't like them. And we finally learn that Saoirse Ronan's character is like a science experiment, basically. Eric had recruited a bunch of mothers from abortion facilities, uh, specifically her mother among 20 other women. Her mother is Joanna. He recruited them to like have experiments done on their unborn children to like make them less emotional have quicker reaction times things like this and so she is the result of this Uh, i think she might be the only successful 
result of this, like the only child that was born out of it? Well, actually, he mentions later, <laughs> well, actually, um, actually, <laughs> he mentions later that there were many other children, but Marissa Vigler shuts down the project and kills all the other kids except her. Right. Okay. So this one escaped. Yeah. So Saoirse she's Ronan, the only yeah. one left, but she was not the only successful one, presumably. Okay. So Eric and Joanna and um, Hannah did escape. Marissa Vigler tried to kill them. They all escaped. Don't know why she didn't pursue them harder. Just causing problems later, i.e. the entire movie later. So yes, Marissa Vigler is trying to kill her and also prevent Eric from leaking these state secrets. She order 66 them. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> Anakin uh, Skywalker energy. True. Marissa Vigler at some point kills Eric and then and then Hannah kills her. She like rolls down a track in this like theme park and Hannah picks up a gun and says, "Ah, oh, I just missed your heart." and then shoots her with two bullets, which is a parallel of her earlier scene when she was hunting like a caribou or a reindeer or something and she said the exact same thing anyway that is the plot so that's the whole movie that's the whole movie yeah don't watch it in fact (laughs) i was not a fan it received some interesting critical response people seem to really like it a lot of critics reviewed it as not being a very typical action movie thematically particularly um they picked up on some fantasy and some fairy tale elements which we can get into later that was kind of mixed there as well. Some people really liked the fantasy elements. They thought that it made it different, and others found those very heavy-handed and, like, kind of hitting the audience over the head with, like, this is about fairy tales. I did see some reviews that called it Kubrickian, like, in the style of Clockwork Orange. I have not seen Clockwork Orange, so I can't Vomit. speak to that. Vomit. Disgusting. <laughs> it did feel very trippy. It was very not in the style of Joe Surreal. Wright that I'm familiar with. Yeah, mm-hmm. Trippy in a way that I didn't like, like, trippy derogatory. Um, it did have a huge first weekend. Like it got a lot, it earned a lot of money and it was nominated for a bunch of awards, not like Academy Awards, but some smaller awards. It has a 3.3 on Letterboxd an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 65% on Metacritic. So overall pretty good, not like amazing, but still pretty good. And in the following years, based on its success, David Farr, who, as I said, was one of the screenwriters, did adapt it for a TV show, uh, which I think is no longer running. Now, a couple of times in there, I did bring up fairy tale elements, so I think right off the bat, we have to talk about the fairy tale elements. What did you think of them? I did not pick up on them the first time I watched this movie, and only a little bit picked up on them when we watched this movie together. I think that it's clear at the end, because she's in like this like Grimm's fairy tale house, um, but I don't understand the meaning of it at all, other than like she is young. I Maybe I'm dumb? I don't think you are. I didn't like the fairy tale elements. Like, okay, so she has this storybook from her mother, mm-hmm. and it makes one appearance, and then I think we see it one more time later in, like, a flashback where we see Marissa Vigler try to kill them and fail. Mm-hmm. And there are, other than that, very few references until almost the very, very end, like Tom Hollander's character Isaacs says to run little piggy, so kind of maybe some like big bad wolf energy here Mm -hmm. kate blanchett is supposed to be associated with the big bad wolf and she is definitely like she's in shades of gray almost the entire movie like all the background around her is shades of gray Mm -hmm. she has red hair so it's kind of like bloody right Mm -hmm. she's obsessed with having clean teeth we see her cleaning her teeth a bunch and one in one scene she cleans them so much that there's a like blood and she spits out blood so we kind of get like this close-up shot of her canine teeth so which is sort of wolf-ish Mm-hmm. But really until the very end, it's not very hard-hitting. Until, like, they arrive at Grimm's house, right? So we're kind of connecting it to Grimm's 
Grimm's Fairy Tales, which is an explicit reference. And then finally in the like kill shot where we where Kate Blanchett's character Marissa Vigler and Hannah are having their their epic battle, Kate Blanchett walks out of this like wolf's mouth ride. So very like very explicit. She she is the big bad wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And then later we see Hannah walking into the mouth of the wolf, and she's shot from the inside, so it's kind of like she's walking into the belly of the beast. And I thought that was a cool shot. But once again, like, even if Marissa Vigler is the big bad wolf, which the imagery would suggest that maybe she is supposed to be, what does that mm-hmm. add? It didn't feel like it added anything for me. Um, some thoughts I'm having. On one hand, it enforces the, like, predator-prey idea, right? That she is the bad guy. She is preying on Hannah, which might be important since we may think that Hannah could be like an anti-hero situation. Yeah. Um, so it helps establish that Hannah is is the good guy. We are rooting for her. Yeah. And we are not rooting for Marissa Beagler. No. Also, the fact that it is like, it's more specifically than fairy tale giving Grimm Brothers fairy tale That's indicates true. to us that there might be a bad ending. Like, Mm. we might make it out of this where Hannah is the person eaten by the wolf instead of, um, you know, like, miraculously rescued by the huntsman when cutting her open or whatever. Like, or maybe she does some... I don't remember how the Grimm's fairy tales with... But, like, she gets eaten. She definitely gets eaten in the Red Riding Hood fairy tale. So, but anyway, I think that the, the connection to the Brothers Grimm really makes us worried about, well, not worried, but, like, um, anxious about the ending of the movie, and it kind of, like, alludes to the fact that this could end badly still for her, even though it's a movie about a young girl who is kick-ass. She knows so much about killing people and keeping herself safe. True. I I don't know. I didn't think that it was that helpful yeah. to, to have the fairy tale elements in there. Yeah. It just felt, like, fine. You know, the imagery was fine, but... There are so many big bad wolves in fairy tales. You know, like, there's the one with the little piggies that Tom Hollander's character was referencing. Oh, and then yeah. there's also Red Riding Hood that she has a big bad wolf. And I feel like, is it enough to have Kate Blanchett's character be the big bad wolf without Saoirse Ronan's character being Little Red Riding Hood or being one of the the pigs in their houses? Mm-hmm. Like, can you have a fairy tale with only a villain? That sounded really metal, actually, now that I said it. But I don't feel that, like... If they had been going for, like, hard fairy tale elements, then I feel that the rest of the characters should have been pulled into it more, and they didn't feel like they were to me. Listen, yeah, I'm about to get really big brain in here. Okay. What if we have the wrong, we being me, have the wrong fairy tale? Mm. Saoirse Ronan is not Little Red Riding Hood. Okay. Saoirse Ronan is a little piggy. And Marissa Vigler is destroying her homemaking endeavors. Okay. She is. Okay, yeah, she destroys yeah. her house in the woods in Finland. Uh-huh. She destroys the Grimm house, like, her end destination. Mm-hmm. She destroys the house that she, the, the found family that she builds with this British family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then at the end, she can't destroy, I don't know, whatever Hannah the has built. The home that she builds in her, yeah, her heart. Yeah, the, the, her self-discovery, <laughs> like, all of these things she's done along the way. The real fairy tale element is the... Is the fan club we built along the way. Yeah. <laughs> is the self-love we built along the way. <laughs> Good. So I guess potentially there's that. But clearly it wasn't very effective because it took us 24 whole hours to realize the importance. <laughs> I also think that it's not super consistent through the film. No. 
Uh, and it definitely gets more intense towards the end, which makes the ending very cool. I do like the little house that she goes to. Yeah. But I don't know that it is as effective as maybe they wanted it to be. Yeah, I do agree. Like, at the end, it, it did get cooler throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. But I guess I just wasn't sold on that. Yeah. We mentioned a little bit that she was kind of, like, all these fairy tale elements are sort of different. They're undermining the action genre. I don't know that it does undermine the action genre because this movie was very violent. Mm-hmm. It hit a lot of the marks that action movies typically do. Like, everyone had, like, just unfathomable accents. Michelle Dockery does a southern accent, which really wigged me out. And I think Kate Blanchett also sort of did a southern accent. It was sort of intermittent. Truly, when will Saoirse Ronan ever do her own accent is what I'm asking. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. What did you think? How does this reflect the genre of action I think that it's very clearly part. Okay, part of our beef with this movie is that it has flawed plot, and I actually think that that, <laughs> that is something an action movie needs to have. That's true. For me to like recognize it as action and not like action adventure or like action mystery or like anything like that. Yeah. So I think that the fact that the plot is so blurry and we are really just supposed to focus on the action sequences and how cool and badass they are speaks to the genre. I think all of her stunts speak to the genre. She's, like, under cars and, like, climbing over things and doing her little parkour and swinging around and kicking people's ass. There's people that get stabbed in the neck. Like, it's all of the violence and gore that you would expect from a movie about assassins. Yeah, I think that the score also speaks to the genre. Good job, the Chemical Brothers. Exactly. She is a very efficient killer, like, despite the two times that she misses the heart the kill methods in this movie were really interesting to me. Like that time that Isaac says, Hey, can I borrow your pen? And then stabs that guy in his neck. I was like, wow, that's so cool. (laughs) I was, yeah, I had just never seen that kind of death in an action movie to my knowledge. And I thought, wow, way to be different, Mm -hmm. but it is really, really violent. There's a lot of blood in this movie. Um, She like rides a lot of undercarriages of cars, which felt very dangerous to me, but I feel like, Besides all that, like, she's very clearly trained to kill. They are all clearly trained to kill. But she was not trained very well at anything else. Like, her dad truly failed her here. Like, for a literal trained spy, she's not very sneaky. She gets caught a lot. True. She has no social skills at all. And she does not handle sensory overload very well. Yeah. Yeah. There's the scene of her, like, when she's in Morocco. Morocco? Yeah, Morocco. She is, like, overwhelmed when she's sitting in just, like, this room that this person has let her stay in and has, like, a phone and a TV and an electric kettle and a ceiling fan and all of these, like, combined noises and sensations really freak her out. And there's this really excellent scene of her trying to turn off the TV and it's, like, paired with, like, the the floating target of, like, a gun or something on the TV that there's, I don't know, and she, like, is trying to turn it off. Anyway, sensory overload is not, is a weakness of hers. Yeah, which, fair, honestly, if you come from the middle of nowhere in Finland and then you were in a CIA facility, then you're probably not that used to noises. Yeah. But it just felt like maybe that should have been part of the training since her dad knew about the reality and yeah. he was training her to be able to re-enter society perhaps before he flipped or she flipped the switch on the box they should have just gone on a little field trip just here is our trip to the grocery store yeah uh, can you handle talking to someone yeah have your goal your mission should you choose to accept it is to have one fucking normal conversation <laughs> yeah she never has a normal conversation ever mm-hmm. oh my gosh Oh my, it, yeah. Anyway, I feel 
let's talk about that because I feel that the parenting in this movie was very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does he kind of fail to train her very well as a spy, he also fails to train her as a human being. And like, I guess, cute father-daughter bonding that they're having hand-to-hand combat. But no, I didn't like it. Her where the whole the whole first half of the movie, I was really wondering where is her mother because at one point he is accused of killing her mother. I think Marissa Vigler says mm-hmm. that he killed her mother. And she, he, he, like, leaves her as a decoy, too, which felt strange to me. Anyway, yeah, I thought that the parenting was bad. I have some questions about motherhood. Oh. Obviously, the father parenting is bad, but also we learn later that he's not really her father. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that you can only be a good dad if you're a biological father. Yeah, which I mean, he considers her, himself her father, and yeah. he says he loves her and all those things. Yeah, so, like, whatever. But his goal was always to keep her safe. Yes. So... You know, I get it. Whatever. Uh, but her mom. We find out later that he recruited her mom from an abortion clinic. So presumably not really interested in having this baby. Yeah, and he but, recruited her not just from an abortion clinic to have a baby against her will, right? But also to have experiments done on her baby, which felt like doubly bad decision making. And later, when Marissa Vigler is at her, uh, Hannah's mom, whose name is Johanna, Johanna, yeah. um, is... She's listening with Johanna's mother, so Hannah's grandmother, to these tapes, which I guess are, like, voicemails from Johanna when she's pregnant with Hannah. And she's saying these things like, oh, my gosh, mom, like, I basically I love being pregnant and I can hear, isn't this crazy? I can hear the baby. I can feel the baby. I think I know what she looks like. I think it's a her. Like, I explaining all of these sensations in what I believe is a very positive manner. And... So I just, and also she seems like, like the grandmother is really excited about meeting Hannah. And I know that generationally there can be discrepancies (laughs) about like who's excited for a baby to be born and who is not excited. But it just, it feels very much like Johanna loved this baby a lot. So I just want to, I want to know more about, and maybe it's just, they didn't have time, but it just, it's very weird to me that like we get all of these voicemails about like how much. Johanna loved her baby and we're supposed to feel like mad at Marissa Vigler for like taking Hannah's mom from her but also at the same time it's like your mom didn't even want you I don't know abortion is a very personal thing so I guess we really can't blame Johanna for any of the decisions that she's making it just feels like some some strange ones were made right like that she chose to presumably accept money or some sort of trade deal in exchange for having experiments done on the baby that she didn't even want. Right. And on her, because it's and inside her. of her, yeah. right? So, like, yeah. I guess maybe... I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions about her. No. We can just leave that one alone, because, yeah, I agree, the parenting in this movie was questionable from from all angles, including the British family. Like, <laughs> yeah. those parents were whack. <laughs> Uh, so Hannah stumbles upon this British family and she falls right in with the daughter um, and we'll talk about that and I think just, just in a second but the parents are truly strange like they don't seem to get along mm-hmm. um, they have very different ideas about like the dad is constantly asking Hannah like where is your dad why is your dad not here why are you alone and the mom is like oh she's 16 she's having a blast exploring Europe on her own she has one piece of clothing and no money at all, but it's fine. Which, honestly, yeah. same. 
<laughs> I think that we're supposed to think that, like, maybe they're so busy, caught up in their own, like, kind of fight about how to raise their kids that they kind of miss out on some pretty fundamental, like, red flags in Hannah, like, befriending yeah. their children. Um, so I think that they're mostly supposed to be, like, a comedic relief element there. Um, a lot of this movie was funny, which I think happens a lot in action movies because they're, like, inherently kind of, like, out there. Like, they're outlandish. They're larger than life. Yeah. So I think there usually tends to be a lot of humor. Also, you're seeing people die all the time, so you kind of got to cut that (laughs) with some humor, some little jokes. Yeah. On the topic, though, since we brought up the British family and her falling in, in with the daughter... Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is a gay movie? Is there gay subtext? Is there gay, like, straight text? Um, like, I don't know. What do you think? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Many layers. First, Saoirse Ronan's character is inherently queer in the sense that she is outside of the normal. Like, queer in the sense that means weird. She is abnormal. She is outside of general societal conventions in her all everything like she carries herself differently she speaks differently all of these things which i feel like in and of itself there's enough room there to make an argument that she's queer coded but she also has a little a little fascination a little crush maybe with the girl the british girl that she meets that is a tourist they even kiss on screen they do have a little smooch but it seems very much like a Their conversation leading up to that seems very friendship. The only thing, like, intimate about it is that it happens, like, under the covers in, like, their little bed. Yeah. While they're, you know, staying somewhere. So, like, it's very, like, ambiguous, I would say. Like, you could definitely read it as, wow, like, all this girl needed was one female friend, the power of female friendship. Yeah. But also, like, they literally kissed, so... I think we could just read it in that Hannah is having a crisis of identity, right? Because she has learned while she was in the CIA facility that her blood is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, well, who am I? And I think soon after that, she learns that Eric is not her father. So she's not really sure who she is. She's being confronted with all this new data about the world. Mm -hmm. So it could just be that she is like, wow, I need to try everything all at once. And so maybe I'll kiss this girl. Because right before this, right, they're like out with two boys, which Mm -hmm. aren't very important to the plot other than that they are together. So it could just be that, or that she is starved for intimacy, or it could be that she's gay. And I think that all of those are valid reads. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of whether or not this has gay subtext, though, Tom Hollander did wear eyeliner in the movie, and I thought that that was important. I think that Tom Hollander is queer-coded in this movie. I think he is, too. Like, he has very strong, like, color energy. Like, a lot of the characters in this movie have no color association at all, except for Kate Blanchett is gray. Um, but he, ha- he wears a lot of different colors. He, for example, wears an exquisite banana yellow tracksuit. <laughs> um, and with the eyeliner and his kind of general man- mannerisms, I was wondering, like, maybe he is, maybe he is queer coded, but mm-hmm. there's no, it doesn't really go anywhere, right? Like he doesn't have, he doesn't have anything even r- akin to a love interest mm-hmm. or really much of a character outside of being Marissa Fiegler's henchman. I don't know. You know, I think it's the classic example of gay or European, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like we see him, we, well, the first time we see him, he's like in a like little cabaret burlesque kind of club yeah, and he's like orchestrating the, um, the acts. And so he is both like 
asserting masculine power in telling these women how to behave and present themselves, but also, like, you know, allowing an expression of femininity. So, like, I don't know. It's kind of, like, kind of ambiguous also there. But he does not have a love interest, and he wears eyeliner. So do with that information what you will. Gay or European. Thank you, Elle Woods. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) True queen. On the topic of color, though, because we brought up Tom, Tom Hollander's banana yellow tracksuit, which I loved. I would love one. <laughs> um, the colors in this movie were crazy. Like, it was very trippy overall, and particularly towards the end when they're in the Grim House, it gets really colorful mm-hmm. really fast. But what did you think of the color in this movie? What did I think of the color? You're the color expert. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like the shades of gray, big bad wolf. Yeah. Also, like... She is operating kind of in between the law, you know, like Mm. she works for the CIA, Mm -hmm. but she is doing this kind of very personal side mission. Yeah, personal side mission. So she clearly like, you know, views the law as shades of gray. So I feel like that kind of there's something to be said there. Um, I feel like also with Hannah, gray is kind of like she hasn't found herself. She hasn't Mm. found the color that represents herself. Yeah, she's very washed out. She's very washed out. Her hair is not, like, she has very blonde hair. She has very blue eyes, but that's kind of it. Yeah. And blue, I think there's just, like, adventure. Yeah, Marissa Vigler, the only color she really has outside of gray is red, right? Like, her red hair and her red blood from brushing her teeth too hard. Like, Mm -hmm. really, girl should have gone to the dentist. We've all been there. Gingivitis gang, rise up. <laughs> but Marissa Fiegler, in addition to those two, which are very, you're right, very villainous, she also has a strong connection to green. Like, when she is planning her her little outing to go catch Hannah, she picks some shoes out and she, like, really inspects these green shoes. Mm-hmm. And then she, these are the shoes that she's wearing the rest of the time. And she also, later in the movie, gets some green driving gloves in the same color. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea why this green association is there other than that maybe green is like a villainous color like a magical color Mm -hmm. green villainous magical evil green also jealous hannah is already a better assassin than marissa vigler that's true also marissa vigler does not have children so there could be some sort of like you know jaded woman doesn't have kids wanted to have her own weird special super soldier serum baby but could not. But I guess she shut the project down. Yeah, she could have had so many kids. Yeah, they could have. I don't know. The thing with Marissa Vigler is weird. Like, she clearly doesn't like this project, but for why, you know? Yeah. The motivation in this movie was really escaping me. Mm-hmm. Like, I truly, I just keep coming back to why did they have that box that would alert her to their position? Wow, great question. Never answered, never addressed. Not even really talked about what the box is, except that turn it on and it gets you. Even in the back, even in like the flashback where we see her shoot their car and kill Joanna, there's no box when they're running away. Like, I guess it's possible that it belonged to Eric because he used to work for the CIA and it's just his little tracker guy. But surely if they wanted to track members of the CIA, there would not be an off switch (laughs) so that people could go rogue for 16 years. Yeah. So I don't believe that it's CIA equipment. Yeah. And even if it was, why didn't he just throw it away? Why did they keep it? I think that we are supposed to believe that he has been training her for this moment. Like, he knows they cannot escape 
Marissa Vigler and the CIA people that are tracking them. So he needs to train her for their inevitable confrontation. And the best way to do that is to control when that confrontation happens. So if they could go off the grid and have some sort of thing that... So maybe we're supposed to think that he, like, has, like, MacGyvered this thing so that, like, he took equipment and made it this box that would ping their their location somewhere. But when they go to the Grimm house, Mr. Grimm gives her a new passport. They could have just gone off the grid in not by not going to Finland. You know, they could have gone off the grid and just had new identities, and then mm-hmm. no one would have known. But they needed to... I think they need to deal with Marissa Vigler. Maybe. Because she she asks for... Hannah asks for her specifically when she gets detained. You're right. She is supposed to kill her. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she also kills Michelle Dockery's character, the false Marissa. <laughs> okay. Indeed. I don't know. I didn't like this movie. I I'm gave sorry. it a two out of five stars. Okay. What did you give it? I think that I gave it three and a half stars. I have given so many movies three and a half stars recently, so yeah. I can't remember. But I thought that it was very interesting to watch. It was well done. I did not like the plot, but I have never once watched an action movie and thought, wow, no plot holes there. <laughs> True. So I am willing to forgive it. Fair enough. I I like an action movie, and I did not care for this one. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't like the iteration that it did. It's a little trippy. Yeah. Little, a little out there. Little but film bro. I think that Sergio did a great job, and I might even be tempted to give her five stars for it. Like, she okay. she carried the movie. She does do an excellent job. I thought briefly about giving her five stars as well. That moment ended when you said you were going to give her five stars. So just to be different, I will give her four and a half stars. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that there is room for... My four and a half reasoning is I feel like you cannot give a five-star performance review for an action movie where much of the acting is just jumping over things and swinging around. like. I didn't feel like she did a lot of acting, but when she did, I thought it was really there. That's true. I, I just think this was really different for her. Like, mm-hmm. it's the first action movie we've seen. She did a good job. It's the first movie I think that she truly has, like, carried the whole thing on her own. Like, That's true. She is the very, very main character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, five stars from me. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think I would like to thank the Chemical Brothers for giving <laughs> us such a phenomenal score. Mm-hmm. Truly the best part of the movie. I would like to thank Joe Wright for not including any weird hand uh, shots in this one for me. True. And also, in general, for being the best. Yeah, this is our second Joe Wright movie, and honestly, I like the other one better, but that's okay. <laughs> Nothing can stand up to atonement. That's true. Atonement, num- number one in my heart forever. Yep. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening to us work through our thoughts about this movie, uh, and tune in next week for our next one. <laughs>